Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Welcome to Camp Constitution Radio with your host, Hal Shirtliff. This show is heard on WBCQ The Planet every Monday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, broadcast out of the beautiful Monticello, Maine, in Arista County. And, well, as the, as you're hearing this show, uh, Camp Constitution has it'd be a second day. I generally record the show a few days in advance. And uh, thanks to our good engineer, Robert, we were able to get this up in a timely fashion. Um, so we'll be talking about next year's camp, which uh, is scheduled to be August 5th to the 11th at the Christian Lakeside Christian Summer uh, Camp and Conference Center. Not summer camp, but conference center in beautiful Pittsfield, Massachusetts in the Berkshires. So there'll be more information about that as time goes on. Um, this show is brought to you by Camp Constitution. Uh, CampConstitution.net is our website. And on our website, we do recommend folks visit the website because there's lots of great information on there. Our YouTube channel, which is getting a lot of views lately, um, not a lot compared to some of these uh, huge uh, shows like uh, you know, people like Mark Dice who get a million subscribers. But we're making ground. We're making. We're gaining ground. We're getting about six to eight hundred views a day, and uh, we're going to keep adding to that. And the good listeners that that tune into the show can. Um, subscribe and uh, we have a lot of great programs on there i think a lot of the radio shows i do as guest hosts or as a as i'm a regular host on some a number of shows also a lot of historical places we visit and post information up and also the activity at our summer camp and the various speeches during the course of the year and presentations so a lot of great stuff and some historical stuff some um <clears throat> some uh, videos that were uh, some films and film strips that were converted to video I think we have Ed Griffin's A World Without Cancer on there. So we have a lot of great uh, material. Um, I was scheduled to have um, uh, C.J. Grisham of Open Carry. Excuse me, my studio uh, here is uh, outside. Anyway, uh, my makeshift studio with uh, some dogs in the background, so I apologize for that. But anyway, um, uh, C.J. Grisham is the director of open carry texas and what prompted me to reach out to him was an article that was on a political left-wing uh, left-wing uh, source from 2014 that seems to be making the rounds and it said that uh, uh, the houston chapter of political uh was um planning a march through a predominantly black or black neighborhood and the article uh, made it look like these people were trying to promote racial violence and racial hatred and so forth. And the article started off with white, uh, how did it start off? White, um, white gun nuts march in black neighborhoods. Yeah, so uh, anyway. Anyway, it was tough to do this show with all these, all these barking dogs. But anyway. Um, 
All right. I think we're good now. Uh, anyway, one of these days I'll get a real studio. So, um, yeah, so <clears throat> it was posted on the Facebook page uh, in Boston, a minister, a black minister, uh, Bruce Wall, who I'm friendly with. And it looks like, you know, trying to inst- and start up racial violence and so forth. And I, uh, so I got a hold of CJ. I read the article and I got a hold of CJ. And uh, he told me the story that the organization is advocating gun rights for everybody, Second Amendment rights and whatever the Texas Constitution says, where it says their right to keep their arms in Texas. Anyway, it said that um, he said that they actually have black members of their organization and they were not trying to cause any racial strife. Just the opposite. They were trying to encourage um, gun ownership for all and for blacks and so forth. And I think it makes a whole lot of sense if you live in an area where there might be a little bit more crime than other areas uh, that you should be able to um, be able to uh, know how to be able to have access to a weapon. And, and we, when I spoke to CJ yesterday, um, he was telling me about the um, some of the laws in Texas that they want changed that were written in the 1870s after they got a new constitution. They were one of the Confederate states, and uh, one of the conditions of rejoining the Union, of course, were new constitutions. Anyway, um, the history of gun control is a history of racism. And that's a fact that a lot of the uh, liberals, especially those black liberals, don't like to know. They only either don't know the story or they don't want to know it. And it was actually a Facebook page, uh, African Ancestry, uh, like an Afro... uh, nationalist black nationalist group was advocating well you know, basically we don't we don't think people should have guns well why would you want to be victims it's 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 really interesting too on one hand all policemen are bad uh black white policemen all they do is harass blacks when they're not eating donuts and coffee or drinking coffee they're harassing blacks so you don't like the police and you don't want to be armed so you're at the mercy of these white racist cops or militant Muslims. Uh, so uh, so I don't understand why they would not want to be. It's interesting, the Black Panthers in the 60s, I'm no friend of the Black Panthers or sympathetic, but they at least advocated uh, the right to keep their arms. And back in the, uh, some of the southern states had what they call black codes. It was really an answer to uh, the Nat Turner slave rebellion, slave insurrection, I should say, where uh, he and some of his cohorts uh, murdered 40 to 50 whites, and uh, the states uh, passed so, some southern states passed laws against blacks owning weapons. But of course, uh, in the United States, uh, blacks owned weapons. There were black militias in Boston, Massachusetts, during the Revolutionary War. There was a group called the the Bucks of America, and they were armed and they were very they contributed greatly to the uh, United States to the success of the uh, War of Independence. But um, but there's been a sort of a mantra that somehow uh, you should be disarmed. Now I'm all in favor of getting weapons out of the hands of criminals and gangbangers. That's not an issue. Um, but what about the the law-abiding people that are at the mercy of these gangbangers and so forth? And it was interesting. Um, a few years ago, I had an opportunity to visit Motown, the Motown Museum, the original home that was uh, where Motown was founded. And it was an incredible story, a very modest little home. And Barry Gordy got money from his, um, raised money uh, from his family, all except one of his sisters. And she wouldn't uh, give him any money. So she was the one that became the accountant. 
And the young man that was giving the tour showed us the first studio. And it was an incredible story about, uh, you know, free market and limited government and so forth. And uh, he, meant to, he mentioned that the, uh, the early Motown musicians, they were great musicians, and they were clean cut. They were great performers and so forth. So people liked to have them, liked to hire these people. And they, they had a bus, and they would travel to various uh, southern, southern states and towns and cities giving performances. And he mentioned that in one place, I forget where it was, Alabama maybe, that in the early 60s, that uh, some local Klansmen took exception of their presence and fired at them. And he said, but it really wasn't much of a problem because we simply fired back, and that ended that. And I don't know if he was making a case for the right to keep their arms, but he certainly did, whether he wanted to or not. So armed, law-abiding people are a great disincentive to criminals. And in fact, there was a liberal professor, Professor Glick from Florida, I think his last name, and he was going to do a dissertation on the more guns, the more crime, the more murders, et cetera, et cetera. But guess what? He had to change his position. He did the research, and he concluded in his book, More Guns, Less Crime. And you could look around the United States, and you look at areas with very high per capita gun ownership. Crime generally, not I shouldn't say generally, it's always lower. And states that have open carry laws, you know, the liberals and the gun controls, oh, my goodness, it's going to be like, it's going to be like Dodge City. Of course, Dodge City wasn't all that bad compared to Chicago or Washington or Detroit. Dodge City would be a sleepy little rural town compared to that stuff that's going on where gun control is very strict. Anyway, um, so um, so this man said, uh, so you look at states like uh, uh, Vermont and Maine and North Dakota and uh, all other states that border the Canadian, the Canadian border, but they have very high gun ownerships and they have virtually no crime no violent crime very very little crime and when it is crime it's usually a crime of passion not a uh, criminal act um and that's consistent and i don't know if this study has ever been done but i would i would um conclude that i you know a great percentage of the crime in our country is um committed on a very small percentage of square miles you know, you look at uh, cities like uh, Detroit and Washington, D.C. and Chicago and so forth. And even in these cities, there are places where there's not a lot of crime. It might be, you know, and that's, that's a sad fact, it's a sad reality in the poor neighborhoods where you see most of the violence. And by the way, um, historically, uh, during, this, during the, during the uh, Depression, uh, when people are out of jobs and out of work and there were a lot of poor people, crime went down. And it went down in the inner cities, too. So something, something's wrong here. So um, I believe the motivation of this political, this left-wing news source was to promote race, racial turmoil and a race war. That's really their ultimate goal. That's what George Soros is all about. That's what his Black Lives Matter is all about. And the cannon fodder are the people who live in these neighborhoods. They have to live in the high crime areas, have to deal with all this nonsense. And it's um, it's a tragic thing. Um, uh, so and, anyway, uh, when you look at the Constitution, let's look at the Second Amendment. I was watching a Cenk Uger video. Cenk knows nothing about the Constitution. He's actually got to the point where he said if it was up to if you wrote the Constitution 
a modern day version of the Second Amendment would be that uh, a well a well regulated police def- force is necessary for the defense of a free state. He's saying that so police should have guns, and that's about it. And then he goes around saying how bad the police are. I mean, and he he gave a little history lesson of uh, of the militia. He said, well, in the north, George Washington had to fight the militia units. Think, what is this guy talking about? And in the south, they had slave patrols. No, they had militia in the southern states. They had militia in the northern states. We had a militia before the War for Independence, going back to the 1600s. And in the 1600s, uh, Massachusetts, um, all of the original colonies all had militia units. And these were all able-bodied males from 18 to 45, I think is what the laws were. Pretty, they might not have been universal. And there was exceptions. Uh, uh, Miller uh, was, in a, you know, if your crop was in the field. And so there were some exceptions. But pretty much everybody within a certain age, they were disciplined, they were regulated, which means disciplined. It doesn't mean that there's a bunch of laws um, dealing with their dealing with their right to keep and bear arms, the, uh, or a lot of laws, although there were. But uh, disciplined, or I should say, well regulated, means that they knew how to use those weapons. That not only were they proficient in the use of the weapon, but tactics and other things that were necessary for them to be effective. Uh, today, um, you have people who are trained, uh, soldiers and National Guard. Well, but let me make it clear. The National Guard is not the militia. So um, <clears throat> these folks would be able to respond to other things. Today, you know, people deal with floods and hurricanes and snowstorms. So militia isn't just used to uh, deal with insurrections and, and wars or fighting, you know, for hostile foreign forces. It's also to be used for local uh, local issues as well. Um, so, um, as I mentioned, the idea of a race war, I, uh, not only that, but in Boston, uh, the same pastor, Wall, he um, brought a video to my attention. And the video allegedly was made by police officers, although there's no indication that that, that was uh, true. It's about a minute and two seconds long, and it shows... It's kind of a weird little video. It shows a policeman in a cruiser, young man, I think his name had his name there, and it had a couple of scenes uh, sitting. As, then they superimposed his head on a few other things, and it showed some uh, looked like some, some some police cadets going for a run, and then there was something about a there was a street in Boston, so you figure it was Boston police, and it had said something like an unlikely duo, and it showed this police officer, and they had some some denigrating things about him and it had a little lap dog with a with a uh with a bandage on one of his legs and it said an unlikely duo and it said that blacks in Boston have met their match and that was really about it um and I'm thinking what you know what's what's the motivation for this so there are three things that probably uh, are are here I mean I watched the video four or five times to really get a handle on it to say okay what's being done here so three conclusions the first one that was done by white racist cops who uh, probably want to lose their jobs on purpose, so they have a death wish. Uh, number two, it could be done by people who may not may or may not be racist, but have some issue with this young man, this young rookie police officer. They don't like him, and they want to try to destroy his career. And the third thing, and it was deliberately made up by enemies of our nation and, of course, our city and state, that want to promote racial turmoil. And I'm leaning towards the third explanation. 
because I can't believe that any police officer, no, I couldn't believe, I don't care how racist he or, he or she or they may be, I can't believe they would put something together so it's like this. It would be a career ender, no question about it. Not just in law enforcement, but many other careers would be would be shut off to them. And number two, yeah, it could be some folks that just don't like this guy. Uh, that might be the second one, but I think it's the third one. And, of course, it's in the hands of some local black pastors, and they get really riled up, and the people get excited, and they say, what's happening? We want people to resign. We want people to fight. We want investigation. And I'd like to see it. And I would say that if these two policemen, oh, I should say two, I don't know if it's two, but if this policeman is involved and anyone else, they should be fired. They're not worthy of carrying a badge. But looks like our enemies are really pushing for racial turmoil. And it's um, one, of the, you know, one, of the most, one of the worst things that we can do. Um, the Bible is very clear on that, what God hates, uh, discord among brothers. And we see it, we see it all the time. Um, so anyway, the, uh, getting back to the right between their arms and the history of the, the racist roots, um, black Americans, as I said earlier, always enjoyed the right to keep and bear arms. Uh, but it wasn't until the 1840s, after the Nat Turner slave insurrection, that uh, some of the states passed laws against them. And even after the, um, after the Civil War and re- the Reconstruction era, there were other, they may not have been black codes, but they were laws that were make, made it difficult for blacks to own it. And then in New York City in the early 1900s, they passed the Sullivan Act. And this made it difficult for immigrants to get weapons. And we push, push it up today. In some states, it's relatively easy to get a gun. Uh, you know, you might have to show a license and uh, show your proof of age or get a permit. And, you know, it's a, not a difficult thing. And a lot of states have open carry laws now. Texas has one. Maine, I think Florida passed one. New Hampshire just enacted one uh, recently. So in many states, the uh, liberty movement is really gaining ground. And more and more people are owning weapons and using them responsibly. And in many places around the country, the crime rates have gone down. The crime rate in some of the inner cities has gone up, but around the country, it's, it's gone down. And it's, it's really a testimony to the fact that there are a lot of gun owners. I think uh, I was in a gun shop a few years ago in Batavia, New York, and the owner said to me that the greatest gun salesman was President Barack Obama because uh, people figured they got, <laughs> a lot of people got worried about his presidency. And uh, every time he'd make a speech talking about gun control, the sales would go up dramatically. And believe it or not, there is an office that still exists called the Office of Civilian Marksmanship but by the U.S. government. Yeah, the U.S. government created this office in the uh, right after the Spanish-American War, right about that time. That was only a three-month war. But they, um, they, some people determined that uh, we've become more urbanized, and a lot of the, um, the people that were inducted into the – was uh, well, I don't think it was a draft. I can't be certain. But they really didn't have the skills and uh, the marksmanship skills. So um, Congress took it upon themselves to create the Office of Civilian Marksmanship, believing that um, you know, American civilians should be proficient in the, uh, the art or the uh, – uh, the art of marksmanship that would make them better soldiers if and when they were called into duty. Of course, if you had a militia structure, and that's a, we've addressed this issue of militias a number of times, nothing recently, but over the last couple of years, we've had 
a few experts, Dan McGonigal and Edwin Vieira, talk about that. But right around that same time, um, in 1903, they passed something called the Dick Act, which made it, um, which really redefined the militia. And it really, it was almost uh, legal fiction. They called, uh, they called, they created something called the unorganized militia, which really is nonsense. It doesn't, I can't, a militia by its very nature is organized, not unorganized. So it's impossible to have an unorganized militia. And and then uh, I think there's, there's, there's uh, back, in, I think it was 1916, there was another act that really sealed the, the fate of the state militias. But Congress has an obligation under Article 1, Section 8 to make sure that states have a militia. And it was up to Congress to uh, make the rules for the militia. And they did that because you wanted some kind of uni- unified um, rules and regulations. If you had a particular unit that wasn't trained properly, they would be not they wouldn't be very effective in, in battle or in combat or when or when they were called out. Um, you know, they would be able to work in, in concert with the standing army, which was relatively small at that point. And so that's why the Congress it was so important. And the Second Amendment says that uh, a well-regulated militia being necessary for the defense of a free state, the right to keep their arms should not be infringed. And I always point out this to people, too. They, a lot of people get caught up in the Second Amendment, and they'll say, well, it says this, the comma. If the comma wasn't there, it would say that. It's something to do with the National Guard. All it simply said is that Congress can't mess with that right. We had the right to keep and bear arms without the Second Amendment. We had the right to free speech without the First Amendment. We had the right to a trial without the Fifth Amendment. We had the right to... Uh, no search and seizure without probable cause before the Fourth Amendment. And a lot of people get caught up in the notion that the amendments gave us that right. And if you took the amendments away, we wouldn't have that right. And that's not the case. I can't imagine the uh, Lexington militia in 1775 thinking, well, gee, we don't have a Second Amendment yet. Well, so we better not. We better just give our guns to the British, the Redcoats, because they told us to put our arms down and we don't have an amendment. No. He had that right long before there was a Second Amendment, and I, you know, and that's that to me is significant. We get caught up in the uh, in the verbiage of what the Second Amendment says, and I think that's not where the argument is. And I also suggest to people look at your state constitution. Massachusetts Constitution predates the U.S. Constitution by about eight years, seven years, yeah, eight years, eight seventeen eighty, um, and. It says things like the right to keep and bear arms. You have the right to self, uh, not only self-defense, but the right to protect your property. And I think Pennsylvania, it says that you have the right to keep and bear arms shall not be questioned. I mean, in some of the state constitutions, it was a lot more clearer than uh, the Second Amendment, the U.S. Constitution. And the whole idea about the Constitution, the U.S. Constitution, is simply to create a federal government. It, giving them special, uh, certain powers and duties, uh, giving Congress certain powers, denying the states certain things that were a prerogative of the central or the federal government, like declaring war, making treaties with foreign nations, um, things of this nature, and everything else was left up to the states. And it was all laid out, Article 1, Section 8, it was about 28 to 30 powers and duties of Congress there's a few others in some of the other articles. And that was it. Everything else was left up to the states. Education was left up to the states. 
family issues left up to the states, and, and on and on. And you see this great increase in the power of the federal government. So today, a lot of people, even those on the conservative side, look to the federal courts to define our rights and define what uh, what these things say. Now, um, when I was doing a little research about uh, this group, uh, Texas, Open Carry Texas, I also looked in, uh, there's a number of black organizations, African-American and black organizations, of gun owners. And I saw an interesting statistic. It said something like 18% of black Americans own uh, weapons legally. So uh, that's a pretty good, that's a, well, it should be higher than that, but that's not a bad percentage. And there are organizations that are dedicated. They're, these people are patriots. Some of them might be liberal and might be conservative, but they, they exercise that right, and they're responsible citizens, and they encourage um, you know, lawful gun ownership, that they, uh, they teach people how to use their weapons pop, uh, properly, black women, black men. And I think it's open to non-blacks as well, but it has a particular mission. It was, um, I think it's the National African-American Gun Owners Association, and there are others too. There's also a group that I was a member of, I guess I was one of its charter members, called the Jews for the Preservation of Firearms Ownership, JPFO. I did know the founder, um, uh, who since passed away, really nice guy. And uh, now he, he founded this organization because he was concerned that uh, a lot of the gun owners who were non-Jews, Gentile gun owners, were were not anti-Semitic, but they were becoming anti-Semitic because of the vehemence of some of the liberal Jewish politicians promoting gun control. And he decided to form this organization. And uh, uh, it's quite controversial. Um, they had a lot of great media coverage. One of the they had they put out some great materials. They still do. They a uh, little cartoon to give to younger people. I think it was called Uncle Jack. I think Uncle Jack uh, series. They had a book. Um, Oh, dial 911 and die, um, pointing out that uh, it takes like five minutes or 10 minutes for the average police to respond to a call, and it only takes a few seconds for a criminal to murder somebody. And uh, yeah, uh, Aaron Zellman, he's the, I was to remember, Aaron Zellman was the founder. I actually interviewed him on a radio show back in the mid-90s that's on my Camp Constitution's YouTube channel. But um, Aaron also put together a poster and it said, all in favor of gun control, please raise your right arm. And it's a, it was an illustration. It wasn't a picture of Hitler. It was a, uh, a drawing. And so there's Hitler giving the salute. And they put these on billboards around the country. And uh, back in the uh, early, early mid-90s, there was a really bad bill. Well, all gun control bills are bad, but Massachusetts passed one of the most draconian. And I got a number of people. We got together and in my home, and we mailed these posters, they were like uh, two feet by a foot and a half on cardboard stock. We mailed them to all of these uh, elected officials right to the state house, so it's like giant postcards and members of the media. And boy, did it cause some some stir! In fact, they got some people got so upset they stopped the debate and uh, they got a hold of Aaron, uh, some reporter, and he said, uh, "You know what's going on here? Why are you folks doing this?" And Aaron, I did tip Aaron off that we were doing this, and Aaron said something to the effect that he said, I'll tell you what, uh, you tell these elected officials to stop pushing Nazi gun control, and we'll start reminding them that they're promoting Nazi gun control. They also point out, too, that the uh, 
1968 gun control laws were based on the German laws, the Nazi laws from the 1930s, the Nuremberg laws. So it's very fascinating. So I do encourage people to look into uh, not only the JPFO, but some of the uh, black-owned, black um, Second Amendment, or I should say right to keep the arms groups. I think it's important to know. And it's interesting, a lot of folks just don't know that, that these groups exist. You know, they live in a vacuum. They uh, hear something in the mass media, and it must be true. Uh, if you own a gun and you're white, you're an enemy. Uh, you, you know, you, you, you want to hurt them. Um, all, all, all cops are racist. All cops are bad, especially white cops. And all you want to do is harass blacks and so forth. We can't pay attention to this nonsense. It's, um, and by the way, there are some bad cops out there. And why wouldn't it be? As our culture is becoming more perverse, why should we expect the police to not to be affected by that? All the other professions are affected by that. You know, uh, you know, you have doctors who used to take an oath not to do, to do no harm, and now they're causing a, you know doing abortions. They're doing sex change operations. I mean, the, the morality of these doctors has declined a whole lot. So, uh, so we're going to see that in other professions, teachers. You know, a generation ago and generations ago used to used to be more interested in um, in um, <clears throat> making sure that young people knew how to read and write. Now they're trying to turn them into a little socialist. So, uh, so why should why should policemen be? Ab- uh, how can they be above that? So, anyway, see how much time we have left. Oh, we got just a minute left. Well, I want to thank you for listening, and uh, again, check us out on the uh, web campconstitution.net and uh, we're going to be posting some of the videos of the great presenters at camp this year Larry Pratt of Gunnels of America John McManus of the John Birch Society Professor Willie Soon uh, of the Harvard Institute for um, the Atmospheric Scientist and who else we got there Uh, oh Alex Newman who was a guest on my show last week he'll be one of the presenters there too so check us out thank you for listening and God bless Hello. Hello.
anybody there? Hello?
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 